Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea Gillis. And I'm Steph Page. We're two Canadian expats now living in Australia and the UK. Between the two of us, we've been through the ringer in our travels, experiencing missed flights, volcanic eruptions, and even a terrorist attack. It's not all that extreme, though. We've also experienced heartwarming, life-changing moments and met amazing people along the way. So kick back and listen to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. Welcome to another episode of All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea. And I'm Stephanie. Hi, Steph. Steph and I have had, um, it's been a rough week. I've been ill again. Yeah. Steph, you've sprained an ankle. Oh, I messed up my leg my, my ankle royally and it sucks. <laughs> what you were hiking. <laughs> Steph was, I was. Uh, she's preparing for her for her trek next year. Yep. Doing one of my multiple weekly hikes as I'm preparing for my overland track. And yeah. yep, tripped, fell yesterday, solidly twisted that ankle on the way down. I mean, it's fine. It's going to heal in a few days. It's just like the perfect example of why you're supposed to have. I didn't have my proper hiking boots on. And those hiking boots. Take your own advice from our uh, trekking episode a few weeks ago. I know. I know. Right. It's it's, it's Black Friday weekend as we're recording this. So I'm buying new ones tomorrow. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But we're we're here. I I was ill earlier this week. So if I sound again a little bit raspy and a little stuffed up, that's why. So but hey. Steph and I always come together to bring you a new episode every week. We would never let you guys down. Never, ever, ever. I'm going to eat those words one week when we're like, hey, sorry. (laughs) As soon as I said that, I'm like, there's obviously going to be a week where we can't. And yep. I don't know. We're we're already liars. All right. We are are dedicated. (laughs) Jumping into this week's topic, we're talking about Mm -hmm. what, Andrea? Uh, We're going to talk about being expats. So... I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that everyone listening, you have listened to previous episodes, but just as a, if not, if you're not aware that Steph and I are expats, I live in London, England, Steph's in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and we've had the, the request of talking about life as an expat and, and how, you know, when we first moved, the, the, the challenges we had, the difficulties, the, the ups and the downs and everything in between. Um, and yeah, we we get a lot of questions about that. Um, so we thought we would do a, a full episode on what that means, being an expat. And I think what or the, one of the first most interesting things is you and I were talking about this and we do, we identify as expats. And mm. but we were talking about we're like, what is the difference between an expat and an immigrant? Yeah, we had this discussion at work not too long ago. And we were well, like, th- oh, why do some people get called an expat and others immigrants? And is there a difference? Yeah, so we obviously the first thing you did went online, went to Google, pulled it up. Do you want to know what the difference is? Yeah, what what's the definition? Give us the definitions right. of each. All right, Oxford Dictionary here for an expat, a person mm-hmm. who lives outside their native country. Okay, Easy, right? so that's me and you. Yeah, it's me and you. We're, we're living Canadians. outside of we're... Canada. Yeah. Yeah. All right, immigrant, and then a person who comes to live permanently in a foreign country. Hmm. That is also us. That, that is pretty the, similar. That is the same damn thing, just said in reverse. I mean, I wonder if the only difference is that it's that permanent aspect, right? I mean, maybe ex- expats aren't always permanent, but I 
Yeah, I don't know. It sounds... I think they're the same damn thing, and somehow some people are being labeled one and some are the other, and... I hate to say it, but my natural inclination is that one has a positive connotation and these days and age, one doesn't as much, Yeah, which is infuriating because they're the exact same thing. I am an immigrant in Australia. Yeah. And you're an expat. And I'm an expat. I'm a Canadian expat. So I just, I just thought we should call that out from the beginning. Expat, immigrant. Yeah. Hand in hand. Same thing. Yeah. If anyone has any, I don't know, like we, I'd love to hear from people listening if they, if they have any thoughts on this. Um, cause it's like you said, I feel like there is one that has a, uh, the term immigrant nowadays in 2019 does have a negative connotation sometimes. And it is the exact same thing as an expat. An expat is almost sounds like the more privileged. Absolutely. Uh, it does. Yep. It's just to me and I get really fired up about this because I've had a couple of people in Australia say they'll make, you know, an off the cuff remark about immigrants in front of me and I yeah. get really defensive. I'm like, you know, I'm an immigrant here, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, but I don't mean I don't mean people like you. I'm like, oh, people like you. So let's break that down. What does what does that mean? What kind of people are you talking about? Like you really try to drill down. You're a white Canadian woman. Native English speaker. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, yeah, so people don't think of me that way. And I am. And I just want to call that out because I think it's important that. It's important that we think about things like this when we are, I guess, using the, the these terms. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got that out of the way. Just something Steph and I were pondering over before we started this episode. So there, now you have our two cents on it. But also, again, guys, chime in if if you if you have a a view on this, please let us know. So I guess let's talk about as as most of you know, Steph and I moved over here to the UK together in 2010. So reasons for that and blah blah blah. We've talked about all of that mushy stuff in previous episodes. But we mm-hmm. want to go through the kind of journey and the things that we had to do when we got here, the challenges we faced, and I guess are the most common challenges. And the number one question I get asked, how hard is it to set up a bank account? Because you hear the horror stories of people that move over here. And really, the first thing you need to do when you move to a new country is get a bank account open. So before we came over, everyone had said to me, like, oh, it's really difficult you need to have a proof of address first. And it's like, well, how do you have an address when you, if you haven't, uh, cause Steph and I, we were living in a hostel, so we yeah. didn't have a permanent address. So anyways, I heard all these horror things and I remember Steph and I turn, turning up, I think we were there like our second day and we went to HSBC <laughs> and we spoke to them about, well, actually it was closed the first day we went because there was a half an inch of wet snow on the ground. So, you know, everything shut down. So then we had to come back the, the following day and we sat down and spoke to them and we said, look, we're coming here to open bank accounts. And I remember we brought like proof of address from back in Canada. We had all these paperwork, and the woman was like, yeah, cool. So you're new here. We'll open you up a passport account. And it was as easy as that. So a passport account was a paid account. I think we paid like seven pounds a month or something to have the account, which in the UK, you don't pay a monthly fee. At the time in Canada, you were still paying monthly fees to have bank accounts, which I think is crazy. So to Steph and I, this didn't really phase us at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it was as easy as that. And so I was kind of doing some research and most major banks, they do have similar accounts that are 
yeah, meant for immigrants, expats moving over to a new country that you can go in and open them quite easily. Um, So really, I didn't have any issues with it. And I actually don't know any other expats that have moved over here and had issues opening up a bank account. Steph, is is it the same in Australia? Like, is there a struggle? I mean, when I, so when I moved to Australia in October 2017, I, that was one of the first things I did, went to the bank, gave them my address here in Australia, and I didn't have any mail with anything on it. So I think okay. they took a copy of my passport, a copy of my um, Canadian ID. I told them where I was living. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, I don't recall having anything with my actual address on it, but they set it up and it was pretty easy to set up a basic account. Same thing. It right. was a fee account. If I didn't deposit so much into it every month, I had a fee, but um, I couldn't get a credit card. That was the hard part. Yeah. I and, So I, I had the same thing here. I wasn't able to get a credit card because really, if you think about it, you're a for like you're foreign yeah. there. You have no credit in these countries. Like you might have the best credit score from your native country, wherever you're from. As soon as you move to another country, they don't care. They're like, well, that means nothing here. So you are starting from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> make sure oh, your definitely. credit scores. <laughs> the thing I look back to when I look back to London that I think is so funny is because you and I were really worried about this. We actually were told it would help to have a relationship with the bank before you set it up. So you and I went to HSBC in Canada and created right. an HSB account because we thought having an HSBC relationship would make it easier. And we got to London well, they and they always, could not have cared less. They, it didn't matter. And, they, and that's the funny thing with HSBC. They're like global banking and you think it's going to, I mean, it did. And I remember in Canada, I was, I was banking with a different bank and I shut that account down, opened up an HSBC account like a couple weeks before we left. And then we went to HSBC uh, in London and they're like, and that bank account means nothing to us. I'm like, why did I go through all that trouble? It was a so, waste of our time. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of bank, so I was looking it up now in like 2019. So mm. almost 10 years later. And it seems that specifically in the, and this is me talking, you know, in the UK, they do have these specific bank accounts still. HSBC still has the passport account, the ones that we opened. But then all other major banks have very similar bank accounts. And all you need to do is come. It doesn't hurt to have proof of address from somewhere back home. But then also, if you're even if you're living in a hostel, just get like a letter mailed to you there and yeah. have your address on there. And they'll use that. And then all they want to see is, yeah, that, your passport, obviously. Um, and then your visa as well. I had to show them the visa that I was on and I was eligible to work there and you know, the work. So to your point about visas, because I think we'll talk about a number of different things here is all of the things we're talking about were applicable to the visas we were on. So, right. I mean, obviously people who are due on entirely different visas from different places. I mean, our situations obviously don't apply to everyone. So I just want to, we, we know, we know. Yeah, we get it. We're, we can't speak for everyone. I mean, in the UK alone, there's God knows how many different types of visas that you can come over here on. So yeah, as Steph said, these are specific to us. But I think we sort of skipped over that first step. So let's talk about visas. Even before you come over, if, uh, whatever country that you want to move to, um, you need to get the visa requirements. You can't obviously just pick up and go and expect to work somewhere without having that in place. So so we were able... So Steph, when we moved, you had your Irish citizenship yeah. already. So I'm a dual citizen, so I have both my Canadian and my Irish citizenship. Yeah, so I actually, since we were in Europe, 
I had a European yeah. Union passport, I was able to work in London without having to do a lot of the stuff you did. You were lucky in that sense. So I, yeah, I on the other hand, I don't have, uh, well, I do now, years later, but at the time, I didn't have a fancy schmancy European passport like Steph did. So I had to look into this. And there was a few different visa options that I was eligible for. So I think the most common one, for those that are from Commonwealth countries, the UK, so what you'll find over in London, there's a lot of Canadians and a lot of Aussies. And what they're all on is the youth mobility visa. So this visa, it's a two-year visa that you can come over on, I think, before you turn 31. 30? I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, it's 30, but then you have the year of 30. So I think it's once, yeah, before you hit 31. Um, and you can come over here and work and live for two years. Um, and yeah, which is, I think a great visa to have. And again, it's only within Commonwealth countries. There's a lot of Kiwis over here as well. So I was eligible for that one because at the time I was, what were we, 25 or something? We were Mm -hmm. so young. We were babies. But then I actually didn't even realize this, but a friend of mine was telling me, he was like, oh, isn't your grandmother from the UK? So my, yeah, my grandma on my dad's side, she's actually a South London Brixton girl. So she grew up near where I live now. And my Yeah, my friend was telling me, he's like, well, you know, they've got a visa. Like, it's called the Ancestry Visa. You would be eligible for that visa. And I was like, oh, so I looked into it. And sure enough, yeah, it's a a five-year visa. And if you can basically just down the line prove that your grandparent was born in the UK. So all I had to do with my visa application was get my birth certificate, get my dad's birth certificate, get my grandmother's birth certificate, send that in. Pay a fee, obviously. Visas, there's always a fee associated with it. Mm -hmm. And I was granted the five-year visa. So they do, uh, again, this is only for Commonwealth countries. So sorry, anyone listening in the States, you wouldn't be eligible for this visa in the UK. Um, But I don't know if they have, one of the questions I always get asked from Brits, they're like, oh, well, does Canada have the same thing? Like, do they have an ancestry visa in Canada for people coming over from the UK? And I'm like, they don't. But if you think about it, it's like how many people immigrated back in the day from Canada to the UK? It was mostly, and yeah. both sets of my grandparents are, they were European immigrants or expats, however we want to call them. They moved over after World War II. So I think in Canada, most people have, like most of my friends anyways, they've got grandparents that are from somewhere over in Europe because they all kind of went that way. So yeah. that's why it doesn't exist the other way around, but... Um, I mean, that's my guess. I don't know for sure. But yeah, so anyone listening, uh, if you're from a Commonwealth country, you've got a grandparent that's from the UK, you can get this visa. They have talked about getting rid of this visa, but that's they've talked about it for years and they still haven't done it yet. So get it now if you can. And it gives you five years. And then after the five years is up, you can get your residency and then eventually become a citizen. So it's quite a nice visa to have. If you have that option. Mm-hmm. If you have the option. So that's the option I had, which I was very lucky to do so. But speaking of visas, we were talking about fees. So oh, that's another thing God. to look into. <laughs> check because sometimes they're not cheap. You need to check the fees. You need to see how much you're going to have to pay up front. So make sure that you're, you know, you've got that money set aside in order to do that. Seth, the visa that you're on. Oh, yeah. In Australia, what's yes. the was so what's the price tag on that? <laughs> uh, so I'm here on my partner visa. It's a partner visa I applied onshore, so there's a huge difference mm-hmm. on and offshore. I applied onshore. It was 7,000 up front. So $7,000 
just to apply. Um, wow. And I think one thing interesting to the left that people don't seem to understand mm. is that that 7000 is paid whether you're accepted or denied. So you have right. to pay... You have to pay that money on their immigration system before you can even start uploading your documents to apply for it. Yeah, we paid that since I did that. So I applied June 2018. And since I did that, it's gone up. So it's 7900 now. Um, These visas so are, the, the, yeah, the, I was going to say with my ancestry visa, it's definitely a lot more expensive than it was nine years ago when I applied for it. Yeah, and it's never just the visa cost. That's one thing I tracked meticulously to see just just to know how much we really paid all in because then I also had to pay for because Australia wants to make sure if you're going to be living here that you're healthy so I had to pay for health exams because Mm. if you're going to be eligible for the Medicare here they want to make sure you're not going to be a burden on their Medicare system and they have a threshold a dollar threshold where if you'll cost their medical system more than that money per year, your visa can be denied for that reason. So I had health exams. I had federal police checks, both in Canada, in the UK, since I noticed I'd lived there for a while, in Australia. I had fingerprints that had to be documented. I had um, just a multitude of costs that are in addition to the visa. Yeah. Well, and and in the UK, it's it's like you said, look at the additional cost. So they actually introduced something. It was a few years ago, um, and it's called the Immigration Healthcare Surcharge. Mm -hmm. So back in 2010, when I got my Ancestry visa, this didn't exist yet. I paid an upfront fee. I think it was like $800 for my visa in 2010, and that's all I had to pay. Yeah. So now, though, with the... um, the IHS, so yeah, the, the immigration healthcare surcharge. Basically, you have to pay a fee for every um, year that's on your visa. There's mm-hmm. like a, a pound amount, and okay. I think it's like four hundred pounds per year on your visa. So they actually have uh, a calculator online, and I was working out now if you were to get an ancestry visa. Yeah, you're still paying like I think it's like yeah, the eight hundred dollars or five hundred and forty-five pounds. But on top of that, for a five-year visa, you're paying £2,000 into the NHS. And it's the same thing where it's they are like, hey, we don't want you to be a burden on our system. So you're going to pay this money up front. So again, all the different types of visas for the UK, they're all going to vary. But you need to look into that ahead of time. And again, I mean, I was lucky in 2010 where this didn't exist because it would have been like, I mean, I would have been paying like four thousand dollars or something then to get this visa to move over so i understand i guess why countries have this now oh i get it do a lot of research ahead of time on uh if you you know if you're thinking of moving to another country what visa you need what visa would be best suited for you depending on how long you want to stay there if you you need to decide are you looking to to move somewhere permanently or maybe it's temporary. Maybe you do only want to live somewhere as an expat for one or two years. And in which case, there's probably a visa specific to that. So well, I've got to say, just on that note that you're saying, there are so many more visa options if you're typically, from what I've seen in the countries I've been, for people who are under 30. So oh, yeah. there's a lot of, in Australia, they have the working holiday visa, which allows you to work while you're here. There's just way more options if you're under 30. And when I came to Australia, I was 32. And all like the only thing I could come over was a one-year tourist visa, which restrict, thankfully, I have a remote job. So I was still working based out of Canada and getting paid in Canada. But 
I mean, if I didn't have that job, which many, many people don't have that, it would have been bloody hard to live here because you're trying to set up a life with no income. And then that's how people get into the rut of working under the table. And then it's, it Mm. just gets so shady once you start doing anything like that. Yeah. And one thing I will say in terms of visas and the the length of, so I know over in the UK, some people actually have a harder time finding a job when they're on that two-year youth mobility visa. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes employers will look at that and be like, "Mm, you're not here for the long run. Why am I going to hire you? And then you're going to leave. And like, I mean, not everyone. Like my company, we've hired people on youth mobility visa, but sometimes they do look at that. So if you are eligible for a visa that's longer than two years, that's when it does come in handy because then they're like, oh, five years. Okay, this is a, a bit more permanent, I guess. And I guess talking about jobs, that's the next thing you got to do. Like if you're over here, you got to you got to you got to pave your way, right? You got to find a way to keep afloat. Um Steph, I mean, I guess for you, as you said, <laughs> you work contracts. So you've never really I mean, I guess well, when we were in the UK, when we were in the UK, I got a job at the Maple Leaf in London, which yes. for anyone who knows, it is I ended up working there because I went to a job interview that I would have considered a career opportunity for myself and right. went to this job interview. I'd read the description. I read about the company. I was like, okay, this sounds amazing. And I went to the interview and I knew I didn't even go in the building because it which it instantly when I got there, my head was screaming scam. And it was like, do not go in there. This is not a real job. This is a scam. And it was like every single one of my spidey senses were tingling. Women's intuition, guys. It was so disheartening, though, because it had sound. And I mean, most things that sound too amazing, I guess, are too good to be true. But I was so disheartened that in that moment, all I wanted was some kind of home comfort. And I typed right. in, I think I typed in like Canadian beer. And I was right. in uh, Covent Garden for this interview that supposedly, and the <laughs> the Maple Leaf came up where I could go grab a Canadian beer. So I went into the Maple Leaf to have a pity party for myself, and I was talking to the waitress, and they hired me on the spot. <laughs> right, because I think they do hire. I mean, I've been. It's it's not. So I think there's this rumor that they're like, oh, they only hire Canadians there. It's not true. There are Brits that work there, but. Why wouldn't they want to hire Canadians? And they do have Canadian expats working there behind the bar yeah. and as servers. And so I remember that day, Steph had like messaged me and she's like, hey, I got a job. I'm working at the Maple Leaf pub. I'm like, <laughs> that is amazing. I remember we used to come down and Steph would be like hustling behind the bar and we're sitting there eating like really terrible fake poutine and it's yeah. not real poutine for anyone listening bad. that goes to the Maple Leaf pub. It's not real poutine. It's not cheese curds. <laughs> it's just grated cheese. But they yeah. call it poutine. But I love it. Like the Maple Leaf pub is the funniest because I get asked that all the time. Everyone's like, oh, do you ever do you ever hang out at the Maple Leaf when you're feeling, you know, you're missing home? And, and actually, it's like the most stereotypical Canadian pub. Like you walk in and yeah, they've just bombed Canada all over the walls. It's like hockey jerseys, a moose head, a hockey stick. And then they serve like a stuffed bear in a Mountie uniform. Yeah, there's like a stuff <laughs> and it's and and the only time I ever go there now is if there's like a big hockey game on when the, when the playoffs are on. Yes. You know, we'll congregate there because it's actually one of the only few bars obviously in the mm. UK that will actually play like air these games. Um but besides that though, I mean, let's talk about the Maple Leaf. 
in the sense of, I feel like, okay, I'm going to go, we're moving on from jobs, right? I'm going to talk about. We didn't about, even talk about your job. We just talked. We I know. Right mine. Here, here's my, my job. I went to a, a recruiter in the UK. They helped me find a job. Done deal. I mean, there's no great story behind that. And I've been working ever since. Paying my, but I paying feel my like taxes. there is something to that because you found the career job and I didn't find a career job for myself. And look who stayed. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I got something an, to it. I work in media and in London, you're in media city. I mean, it's pretty easy to find a, a media job. So, hey, guys, mm-hmm. if you work in media, you want to move to the UK, you'll have no problem find, finding a job. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say with the Maple Leaf. So I'm moving on. We're going to talk about now, like when you move to another country and... I mean, it's important to start meeting people and making friends and finding a community. I mean, there's, I think one of the hardest things I found, I would say the first year could be pretty lonely. I didn't have, Uh, I didn't know anyone over here. I didn't have a core group of friends and I really had to make the effort to go out of my comfort zone. And Steph and I, we did a whole episode about making friends, so we won't go into every sort of intricate detail about it. But Mm -hmm. one of my biggest pet peeves, and this sounds so... It almost sounds shitty of me, but okay. Whenever I meet other Canadians in the UK, yeah. so if someone introduces me to their friend, they're like, hey, my friend's Canadian, you're Canadian. Oh, I sometimes find myself rolling my eyes because a lot of the times when I meet these people, they I find Canadians over here like to congregate only with other Canadians. And now mm. it's not everyone. Don't get me wrong. I do have a couple Canadian friends that I met very organically through work or whatever it might be. But I've, I've found that anytime I'd gone to the Maple Leaf, it is a lot of, obviously, Canadians that are expats, mm-hmm. that, they, that they hang out there on a regular basis. Yeah. And they kind of only hang out together. And all they like to do is really sit around and talk about being Canadian in the UK. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And for whatever reason, it just annoys me where I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that Canadian. I don't want to be that person where that's all I'm doing. And I'm not actually immersing myself in like British culture. And I remember when we first came over, I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to do that. 
I, I thought that, you know, hanging out with only Canadians and finding Canadian groups was not me going out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion on it. But I do understand people th- that maybe have had a harder time why they would congregate to what they know. Yeah. You so see what I'm saying? I've definitely thought about this. And, and it's a balance because whenever you're going to another country, you definitely need to learn about their culture, get to know the people there, get to know and take that country on as your own, not sort of try to live the same life just in a different geographical place. Like each place is Mm. so unique. You need to, you know, know the history, the culture, the norms, and really incorporate that into your life. 100%. Since moving to Australia, I will say, so I have friends from all around the world and I do have a couple Canadian girlfriends and so I've thought about this and I had this kind of debate myself because naturally I found my Canadian girlfriends here are some of my best friends here so what I found was happening was that it's just so natural because you have all the commonalities you have things to talk about you Mm. have maybe not shared memories but shared experiences uh, at the same places all those different kind of things you know and each other, I'm, like you reference something and they get it. You yes. know, you can say, hey, we're going to grab a Timmy's. And I'm and saying like, hey, that. Hey, I know what that is. <laughs> and I'm saying that as like a 30-year-old mm-hmm. English-speaking woman. Now I try to empathize. Like I have so much empathy. You know, if you are from Saudi Arabia as a woman and you don't look like many people around you, mm-hmm. you are only learning English or English is your second language. Like it's a lot harder to identify with the people around you. So naturally, you are going to get on with people who can speak your language, who can easily understand you, who yep. don't talk to you slowly because they think talking slowly will help. Like yeah. people, oh, I have so much more empathy for people who are changing their life entirely like for me i changed the location but the cultures and the norms and a lot of it were very similar yeah. and i think that's the point i was because and, and it's like you said I, and I totally get why people would naturally feel comfortable with people from the same you know your people though canadians like they are my people you know i'm yeah. canadian but it's like you said when we moved over here i'm like i speak english this is not a massive culture shock to me so it's easy for me to 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 be to be, become more immersed in in that British culture. Yes. Um and but like you said depending on where you're from it might not be as easy. So governments need immigration, they need population growth, they need the economy to be booming, and a lot of people don't realize that often immigration and the economy go hand in hand. Yeah. And there are so many things governments could be doing to help people better integrate in the culture when they move here that they aren't. Mm. So right. I have so many ideas, but yes, I think there's we a lot. We could save that done. for another episode, maybe. Definitely. And I would want to write it out and be very like yeah. clear and concise. But yeah, I have a lot of empathy for that. I just think it goes both ways. You need to integrate into the new country, the new culture, and get to know their norms and adapt those into your life. And then, but feel like you still have a sense of community because and totally. maybe this is our segue because when you don't have a sense of community, it's very isolating. It, it can be very isolating. And I remember it took me a, probably a good, they always say London can make or break you. It can be a very harsh city to try to integrate yourself into. Because I, I found most people, they already had their group of friends. People can be quite cliquey here. And at the end of the day, 
like you just feel like an outsider, right? Like mm-hmm. you're trying so hard to, to integrate into it. And that's why I totally understand where when you do find, you know, a community of people that you can relate to. And, and don't get me wrong. I still, there's Canadian events that happen in London that I'll still go to. It doesn't mean I'm doing them all the time, but yeah, it, it's, it's, you can feel like an outsider and that's why, you know, and I guess that people look at sometimes like the expat life, they're like, oh, it's so glamorous. You can just up and go and move to another country. But with that glamour that you see also comes the loneliness the feeling of isolation, mm-hmm. trying to just like start a new life basically. And it wasn't, it wasn't fucking easy when I first came here and nine years later. Yes, this is my normal life now. But I mean, I went through a rough period. Steph, oh. we were there together, yeah. but she left after a few months. And I remember even after you left, I was like, holy shit, I am like alone, know. you know? know? And, and I totally got why Steph wanted to to leave. I didn't make it. <laughs> I didn't. When you say London makes or breaks you, like it broke me. <laughs> like it made you and it broke me. I was like, yeah. Why am we I had doing totally this? different different experiences our first few months there? And yeah, and I remember you know Steph had said to me like, look, it's not for me. I'm gonna go and I like oh. shit myself. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I was I like, know. oh my god, what am I gonna do? <sighs> And I remember I was angry, but I was only angry because I was terrified of genuinely being alone in this country. And and whatever, nine years later, like it worked out. But I had to, it was work. Though. I was it messaging just... you all the time too, because I was so yeah. like worried about you because I knew I left you there alone. And then worry, I like, obviously you're one of the most important people in my life. So I'm like, I can't let this ruin our friendship. Like I was messaging you yeah. all the time. And it, and it didn't. And here we are doing a podcast nine years later together. <laughs> <Thank> God. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it was, it was like, you post all the good stuff on social media, right? So people would mm-hmm. see my photos of me traveling to different European cities on the weekend. And I've got this great new job in, you know, for a big company and, and everyone's like, oh, you make it look so easy. And I'm like, you have no idea like how many times I like cried being like just feeling lonely and missing my family and thinking like, should I move home? And there was a lot. And especially the first year I was like, right, I got, I'm going to move home. And even after, and I think I had met my now ex-boyfriend, but I met him very early days mm-hmm. when I moved. And I think it was like six months in. And to be honest, we were together for wow. know, like yeah. two, 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 three years or something. And I actually feel like if I hadn't met him, I probably would have left sooner, Mm. but that kind of kept me there. And then once we split up, I was already very much immersed in, you know, my, my life here. Like at that point I had, I had a new life over here. And so I do credit him. I hate to give him fucking credit for anything. However, at least there's something positive. (laughs) I know. You know, they say everything in your life happens for a reason. And there's always, once once you start looking at things, like how they've played out, that's what he was there for. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not suggesting go and find a boyfriend straight away, but I'm just saying, you know, things happen for a reason. But it was it was tough for the first. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of like uncertainty, I would say. Um, and and but I I powered through and here I am. Yeah. So, yeah, guys, it's not it's not always a walk in the park, despite what I put on social media. That's why I think it's important to share this, though, because every time I talk to someone who's been an expat, everyone I met who's moved to Australia, we're all like, oh, yeah, this is what I do now. It's great. blah blah. And when you start talking, when you get deeper, everyone goes through this like three to five month period of a lull Mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to stay here. I don't know if I can do this or you're just super lonely. You're super isolated. 
Yeah. And I mean, even I, I knew what to expect because I had done like, I had been through this in London and even knowing what to expect and even knowing, like even being self-aware as it was happening, it doesn't just because you know what you're feeling, why you're feeling it doesn't mean you stop feeling it. I just, well, when I moved here, I had, I think I've referenced it before. I work remotely, so I have no coworkers. And when I moved here, I had no friends. So I was in an apartment alone all day, every day. My income, like I made a Canadian income, which for anyone who knows Canada versus Australia, everything in Australia is oh like yeah, twice as expensive. So it was like I was making half of minimum wage. <laughs> like yeah. Um, so I didn't want to go out and spend any money. But when you can't spend money, you stay home. And I went crazy for a while like Mm. I was going stir crazy yeah it's really just a matter of powering through it and the thing is at the end of the you know you talked about that three five months in thing Mm -hmm. I've been here nine years and I don't get me wrong I still have I still have moments where I'm like "Mm, maybe I want to move home like it's not like I'm totally just sitting here yeah I'm a Brit now fuck you Canada like I'm done with you you get you still get lonely sometimes it just never goes away that feeling of home I guess you know like England is my home now but Canada's just as equally my home I think I'm going into the hardest part because for me this is going to be my third Christmas here and it is fucking weird Christmas in Australia it is bloody hot everyone's (laughs) on school holidays so it just feels like kid summer like you see some christmas decorations in the city but it's it's just so weird and then like christmas day is more just like your barbecue yeah um, yeah so i haven't it's been years since i've had that christmas feeling so this year is going to be the first year like i've ordered a real christmas tree uh, my parents yeah. who are visiting right now brought over all my Christmas decorations. So I am bloody determined Aww. to make this year feel like Christmas. Get some fake snow and like, or maybe like a snow, like a snow. What are those machines they use? Them? I'll turn Steam, the AC on resorts. to like 14. Yeah. And you can wear your toque and your boots. Toque is a very Canadian terminology. I know it's a beanie or a hat. Yeah. I mean, you got to make, make it feel like home as much as you can. I feel like we really kind of have rounded this out in a depressing way, but I think that's that's real talk. Like people like to put this yeah. shiny coating onto things where being an expat, it sounds glamorous. And to people who have expat friends, they think it's this ball in travel life when really it's you're giving up everything you know for something new. So it's scary. Yeah. And it's scary and there's a price you pay and then you come out on the other side of it. There's pros and cons to everything in life and that's it. I mean, I get I get asked a lot, like, why do you live over in London? Like, what what is it that, that has kept you there or has drawn you there? And, and I think the main reason, like, why we first moved over together was the travel aspect to it, right? And mm. we've always said travel for us is a, is a big priority in life. And and I think that's what's kept me in London as long as it has. In the nine years I've, I've been here, it's very easy to travel to different countries at the drop of a hat. And that's been the big grounding point for me here. But then also over time, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am immersed now in the British culture and I do love it here. But that is why I gave up living back home. And I guess everyone has different reasons. Absolutely. Like if you look at me, I you would think my answer would be everything you just said theoretically should be mm. the same, but it's the opposite. So I never had any desire to visit Australia I figured it was a place I would go when I was 60 so I figured I'd do it when I'm older and then I bloody met a man that I fell in love with and suddenly here I am as far away from the rest of the world as I could be (laughs) so yeah Steph's there for a man I'm here for the travel uh I wish I was here for a man 
Where's my man? No, I'm Your kidding. man's in Australia. <laughs> I'm working on it. Oh, I can get you out here. <laughs> yeah. She keeps trying to get me out to Australia and like set me up with a bunch of Aussie men just so like she's convinced that he's over there and then I'll move to Melbourne. It's going to happen. If any Definitely. single uh, Melbourne men are listening, you know, give me a call. <laughs> Let's make it happen. So I think, uh, I mean, originally when I envisioned this episode, I thought we'd talk about all the nitty gritty things. And, but uh, like we really just got emotional there and I know kind of went down memory lane. But I think that's, you know, even better. We give yeah. a realistic view of what it's like to be an expat. And I think that's all we can do. I mean, if anyone listening has their own stories, we love everyone has... Yes. Different stories, different ports of or- points of origin, different visas, different experiences. So I just love the more stories that can get out there, the better. So let yes. us hear yours. Give us your story of, you know, when you picked up and left, you're an expat living somewhere temporarily or if you've moved somewhere permanently. Yes, please let us know. I love uh, hearing other people's stories. Yeah. And it makes you feel more comforted knowing that other people have gone through the same things that you have. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so let us know. Thanks, guys, for listening. Thanks, guys. All the Shit I've Learned Abroad is a travel podcast focused on anything and everything related to travel. You can listen to us on multiple platforms from iTunes to Google Play Music and more. And with that, please, if you have a chance, give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. That drives us up the charts and really, really helps us out. Want to support us on Patreon? Find us over at Shit I've Learned Abroad Pod. Donations start as low as just $1. Also, if you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Shit Abroad Pod and Facebook by searching all the shit I've learned abroad. Thanks so much for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.